start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna it. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. You're listening to the White Cat Outdoors podcast, bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors. What up, boys and girls? Episode 90. We only got two... What am I saying? Two. Ten. Ten's the number I'm looking for. Oh, I for. thought you were going to say there's only two people in the studio. No, I was going to say... We, I could have said that to you save myself. Screwed up your so I just look stupid anyway, but... Ten more weeks until episode 100, so keep sending in ideas, and hopefully we can make something awesome happen for 100. Or, yeah, we'll do it. And also, like Nick said, there's two people in the studio tonight. Tom had some farm work to get done, so... Yeah. He's burning through his vacation time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't even think he's sending to get this one approved by the boss. What? Yeah. I don't, he's burning through his vacation time. That's all I got to say. I don't know what he's going to do come October. Might be unemployed. Honestly, that's probably the better option than yeah. missing. Either miss hunting or unemployed. You got to go. Got to go with unemployed. Hey, it worked out really well for turkey season for me. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> but uh, uh, speaking of farm work, uh, we just finished up our final work weekend up at uh, the headquarters and part of our work weekend was checking cameras. And I tell you what, we got some intel about some bucks that sticking around a lot longer. So that was one thing we wanted to touch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, I guess if you're listening every week, you know that we did a lot of different uh, habitat changes. Cover, up in, food plots. Yeah, a lot, cuts, of, yeah a lot of bedding. Yeah, we basically went all out this year. And it's paid off is what we're finding out. Yeah. Typically, and the reason we did all of this work is like, you know, our our bachelor groups would be gone by the end of June, early July. And then it was like a ghost town and it was nothing but smaller Scrubs. bucks. And, you know, we'd catch the occasional, like Frank killed that nice buck mm-hmm. two seasons ago. Um, but it's just, it's been tough. Yeah. For the most part, whenever we check cameras after July, there's nothing. Like everything just completely disappears and... After like the first week of archery, it dwindles down even more because there just isn't enough keep, there. Yeah, there wasn't enough there, I should say, and that's why we spent so much time and effort completely changing the dynamic of the property. And so far, like I said, we haven't made it to season yet, but we're already a month farther along, and we still have bachelor groups running around. Yeah, and, we're less than thirty days from opening day. Yeah, and we've got multiple bucks daylighting yeah you know together you know some are hard horned and they're still daylighting which is mm-hmm. I, that's promising yeah very you know typically it seems like that's a big change in what like where they're ending up is once they go hard horned yeah disappear mm-hmm. now we've got several bucks you know it seems a little early doesn't it to be hard horned yeah mm. i mean maybe it's just it's, me um but like some of them are still in velvet, yeah so it's, it's just it's, what was weird to me is that we had some Totally rubbed out. Yeah. And then other ones, full velvet. We didn't have anything in between, which I thought was kind of odd. Yeah, and we had bucks on multiple cameras. Like, we'd have this buck here in velvet, and then however long later on the same camera or a different camera, 
completely hard horned. There was yeah. no pictures or videos of him hanging velvet or in the Yeah, which I was looking forward to. I know I love seeing him hanging velvet. That's it's a cool cool look. Yeah. Looks tough. As you to say, literally tough was the exact <laughs> word I was thinking. Um but yeah, so you know, I'm hopeful that they're gonna be sticking around and it's gonna be a good year. It's yeah. always a good year. Yeah, definitely. But this year's so, looking promising. Yeah. So the hard work pays off and not just hard work, but doing your research on how you want to change the property for what's already happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing almost instant results. So yeah. Cause a lot of people just hear, you know, they read about food plots and they're like, okay, I got to put food plots in, but they don't think about why they should have them on their property or even if they should or where to place them, where to place some hinge cuts. I, how, think why. I do want to focus a little bit on that specifically because the food plot we put in by your, I guess, we each kind of have our own zone on the property we typically yeah. hunt. In one of uh, what we call Frank's area, we put a uh, nice-sized food plot, but it's right tucked against the swamp and bedding. Yeah, there's and, apples on one side, swamp on another. There's a lot of high grass right close to it. It's yeah, in a sweet spot. What we've noticed is a lot of daytime activity, mm-hmm. and I think it's because they have so much cover and they feel almost like they're secluded even in the food plot. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a really aesthetically pleasing food plot too it's it's gorgeous the way it works out is you know there's a nice big apple tree in the center of it dripping over i mean there's tons of licking branches Mm -hmm. scrapes are going to be all all over over the place i mean that that tree traditionally is covered with scrapes yeah and i'm this year's not gonna be any different i don't think no so it's gonna be great but um that's what the cameras have been telling us anyway and speaking of cameras we got a pretty interesting picture on one of our cameras honestly it's probably the coolest one I've ever seen for around here. You know, that's just something you don't see very often. So I think it's one of the coolest pictures I have ever seen on a trail camera. Yeah. So, you know, you might be thinking, oh, double drop time buck, perfect, centered up. No, that's not what this is. Not even close. Not even a deer. Uh, This past week we went and checked cameras and we, and mind you, if you don't, if you don't know already, we're in um, like the Northeast region of the country, specifically New York and Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, we had a picture of two sandhill cranes on our camera. I mean, perfectly centered. I mean, it was like gorgeous Kodak moment. If it you was. Will. It was like a perfectly taken photo. Send it to Nat, yeah. Nat Geo. They'll yeah, love it. Sh- we should. Um, <laughs> you know, upon further research, Frank found out that there is a tiny sliver of migration that works their way up through here, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, my dad is an avid outdoorsman and i think he said he saw a pair of sandhill cranes maybe 30 some years ago mm-hmm. and that's it yeah um so if you're from this region and you have seen sandhill cranes or know anything about them hit us up because i'd like to learn more about it mm-hmm. and why they happen to be in our field especially it was cool because we moved our camera to that spot like days before yeah yeah so it was just interesting maybe they land there all the time we just don't know about it because we didn't have a camera that'd be wild that's their that's their landing zone when they're breeding in this area. And the turkey population is good. Maybe we just got a little sandhill crane population down there. That would be wild, huh? Yeah. So that was pretty neat. Um, other than that, we got every all of our stands are hung and checked. Mm-hmm. Uh, found a great store up around the area that we could get some semi affordable tree stands. Yeah. Um, that still aggravates me that you can't get your thirty nine dollar yeah. lock ons anymore. But times they are changing. Yeah. Another thing that grinds my gears, I talked about this a few weeks ago about people with their workout routines um, for drag gear. I keep seeing it and I don't know what y'all are doing. 
but stop it. Yeah. Like, it's not. I, I don't understand what it is, but I keep seeing people posting workout routines to help get like, I get about, like, I understand getting in shape. Yeah. I, I get it. But like, there's people literally just making workouts designed to prepare you for dragging your deer out. And I think the best is 12 ounce curls and you should be fine. No sleep the night before and bitch the whole time you're dragging the deer. And I'm not even going to make you pay for that workout routine. And it, honestly, it's not even that hard to no. drag a deer. They're, like, once you once you got them out. I tell you what, I will send you that workout routine all laid out in an Excel spreadsheet for free. I won't even charge you for it. Yeah. Um, I'll show you what I do every season and it's never led me astray. Yeah. But I just don't get how people are so out of shape that they can't drag a deer. I don't like think, it, I think it weighs 120, be, 130 pounds, you know, hundred, you know, a big one. Once it's field dressed, 150, 60. I mean, once in a while you get that 200 pounder, but yeah. even then, like. Once in I, a great while. Yeah. I've only seen, I think two deer tip the scale of 200. Yeah. Um, in our area now, yeah. if you're from yeah, Canada, you, it's a little different, and if you're from the South, you'll probably never see it. Um, but in our yeah. area, I would say probably for a buck, one fifty to one eighty would be a very uh, average, yeah, respectable buck. Yeah, um, I think my dad's dressed out at like one seventy last year, mm-hmm. um, and then based on cameras, that was likely a three and a half year old deer. Mm-hmm. So that's right around. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the middle, I guess, for a mature buck. Yeah. And if um, you can't drag that through snow without dying... Send Tommy back there and hit me and have an attack. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I, it, I don't know. I just... I, it rubs me the wrong way seeing these... Literally people putting workout routines together. And Yeah, I can to, understand it for certain hunts. Elk hunting. Elk hunting, sheep hunting, goat hunting. Do, you know, yeah, if you you're want going, to get in shape. Yeah. But you don't want it mid- to ruin your hunt because yeah. you're out of shape. But Whitetail hunting... Yeah, whitetail hunting in flat land. Come yeah. on. I mean, maybe if you're hiking mountains for a deer, you might want to work out. But I feel like Northwest you, you PA, know Illinois, Wisconsin, Missouri, you know, all through the Midwest and Northeast. Yeah, Ohio, any of it. You're fine. Yeah. So don't waste your money on the routines. Um, we're not sponsored. Don't so I buy can say into that. the bullshit. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. So, um, yeah. What else we... Got talking your, shit on the <laughs> got your thoughts all fuzzy and fire. Yeah, I know. Up. I'm all all hot and bothered over here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of drawing a blank of what else we wanted to cover today. Um, I guess real briefly go through a few things. You know, prepping as the season gets closer. Um, I wanted to bring up. You know, this is the kind of time where I really start amping up my bow shooting. Yeah, and definitely. It, it's you know I shoot almost year round, you know, Frank mm-hmm. and I are in a winter league. Um, we shoot all winter long. And then I usually do take a break after the winter league. I'll usually put my bow away for like a month and a half, two months. Yeah. I'm the same. Way. Uh, basically wait for break. the, wait for the snow to totally melt so I can start shooting outside again. Cause mm-hmm. we shoot the indoor league and then I just don't want to shoot in the snow. It's cold. It sucks. Yeah. I do it all late season and I don't want to do it anymore. So I wait till it gets a little bit nicer and I pull the bow back out. But then this last month is, at this point, I'm dialed. You know, I'm done touching sights. Mm-hmm. You know all that stuff. But now I just start shooting heavy and just, just getting trying your muscle memory. Muscle, it's exactly muscle memory. Um, but one of the things you ran into, I believe, last year, was you developed target panic. I didn't and, run into it last year. I was a problem for quite a few years. It oh, was really? Probably okay. Like, well, I got. I'll let you tell your story. Yeah, it was probably like three years I was dealing with it, 
and it bugged the shit right out of me because I'm good at shooting a bow, and even with the target panic, I was still good, but it just bothered me because I would, and it was only, I don't know why it was, but like if I took my, I shot a, you know, wrist release, if I took my finger away from the trigger and held onto like the, 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 I guess the, the bar, yeah. Yeah, the bar that goes from your wrist to uh, the release. The release. Yeah. If I held that with a, like a closed fist, I could pull right up on and hold my pin rock solid wherever I wanted it. As soon as my finger creeped up towards the trigger, my arm would drop, and I would I couldn't get myself to go, you know, put my pin on my spot. And it drove me insane, and I always wanted to jump at it. And I figured it was from years of trap shooting, because that was my muscle memory with shotgun shooting, is rip up through the target. Yeah. So right. that's what my brain always wanted to do when my finger was about to pull the trigger. So that was kind of my thought process. And I was just scrolling through Instagram one day, because I had read some different stuff about different releases and whatnot. And I saw someone, I saw a video of someone using a back tension. And I was like, you know, that really looks like it would work for me because of the way you hold it. It's just like me making the fist around the bar on my uh, finger release. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll buy one. I'll give it a shot. And the first time I drew it back, it was... Launched your... <laughs> no, I act, I've never launched an arrow with a back oh, tension. Better knock on some wood, but... <laughs> I, I know, because everyone that has ever shot a back tension, they say, well, you're going to launch probably five or six arrows while you're learning how to use it. And I never did. Can't believe it. And mine doesn't have a safety, because a lot of back tensions do have safety, so you don't do that. And mine does not, so... Never, never fucked up. So. It keeps one in the chamber. <laughs> yeah, always chambered. Uh... But yeah, the first time I drew it back, it felt super weird, but it worked immediately. Like right away, I could do whatever, I could hold right on, I could do everything that I wasn't able to do without the back tension. I think it's important to note that you initially bought this just for target shooting. Yeah, all yeah. I really wanted to do with it was break the habit. Yeah. And then go back to my wrist release just because of the convenience of having it on my wrist and... It, I just like that idea of a release better for hunting. Mm -hmm. just no, I mean, that's what I shoot is a wrist release. Yeah, just because, and I could get one with a safety, so that doesn't happen. But it's it's something that's in your mind. If you're about to draw back on a deer and you don't, ha and it can go off if you don't draw properly, it could ruin your hunt. But so that's why my thought process was okay. I'm just going to break this habit and then switch back to my wrist release and absolutely loved it and couldn't get away from it and i i hunt with the back tension now I, yeah and you've and killed, killed a couple deer with yeah it. i've killed two deer with it so far so i i absolutely love it and it immediately solved my target panic problems 100 percent, no issue it wasn't like a learning curve where i had to retrain yourself retrain or... myself and i did kind of have to get used to what it was just because oh yeah the i played with yours different. a little bit just it's different yeah it's very, it's different. very different and so there was that learning curve in the aspect of using that particular release, but there wasn't the retraining of it just completely solved my problem immediately. And I was, I couldn't have been more happy. I've never bought something like thinking, okay, hopefully this As works. As seen on TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hoping that it works. And then it's like, wow, that worked perfect. So just, I'm a gear guy and anybody that listens knows that 
I enjoy new gear and playing with different things, but mm-hmm. that's one thing I I never got into was mm-hmm. my release. Like I shot a thumb release when I first started shooting a bow because that's just what my dad happened to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a pistol grip release for a little while. Yeah, I tried that one that you had one. They're I hated interesting. That. Um, my dad's was just like too light of a trigger where like if you like breathe it could go off like it mm-hmm. was very light and then i found myself using a wrist release and it's worked for me and i've never decided to go away from it yeah. so i'm interested what changed for you because i'm a wrist release guy what changed for you hunting wise um, with your back tension when it comes to like you know setting up for a shot or any, anything like that because like for me i've drawn back many times it's easy to let down if i have to um it's always strapped to me, so it's easy to just get ready to draw. Like, mm. what changed for you when you moved to a back tension? Really nothing, because I thought about the same thing, because I've been a wrist release guy since I started shooting a bow when I was Big time five guy. years old. You know, I shot a wrist release for almost 20 years. So when I changed, I was kind of worried about it. And same thing, and you can get wrist things for them, and they just, like, oh. kind of hang on a string. But I don't. I didn't really want it flapping like that. So I just, I hold it all the time, or I have it. You know, if I my hands are in my pocket, it's in the pocket that my hands in. But when I've finally decided, okay, I'm gonna hunt with this. You know, it was like a month before the season. I said, I'm gonna hunt with this because I've gotten so used to it. I shot it all the winter league all summer long. I was like, I'm a, I'm gonna hunt with it. So for like the next month, I literally always had it in my hand. Like when I was driving, anything that I was doing, I had it in my hand. I would just play with it and I just got used to it being in my hand all the time. Mm-hmm. And once I got in the woods, I didn't notice it. I, it was no change at all for me for setting up shots. or. And once you are you know how they work, you can let down no problem okay, so without can, okay. any worry. And that's why I, I think I, should, I might get a different one just with a safety on mm-hmm. it. Just because you never know if you or in an awkward position when you're letting down or drawing, yeah. you could kind of tweak your hand a little bit and fire like, it. For me, I always, like with my wrist release, I shoot a B3, and when I draw back, I actually have my index finger behind mm-hmm. the trigger. So it's literally impossible. Unless there was a, a fail in the, the mechanics of the release, it's impossible for it to go off. So I, I draw back that way, and then part of my sequence is bringing the finger forward while like you know like when i check with my yeah. nose touching the string <clears throat> which this is the first bow i've shot in years that i can put my actually ever that i can have that second point of contact which mm-hmm. i know it sounds crazy but i always shot with just one point of contact mm-hmm. um with my release and i i've shot really well like i've always been a pretty good shot but this is the first bow i've ever had that gave me like the string angle was mm-hmm. proper for my build where i could have that nose um anchor mm-hmm. But anyway, so then I always came through, and then if I had to let down, I just pull the finger back. Yeah, and so. I was always the same way. I would draw, with, like I said before, with a closed fist, and then I would lift my finger up when I was ready to pull. Mm-hmm. And that's that part of my process is what leaned me towards a back tension. And yeah, it just once you get used to it, you don't notice it. It just the, like we said before, the muscle memory thing. And I practiced in the yard while I was shooting my bow. Once I was done shooting and practicing for the day, I would just practice letting down Mm -hmm. just in case I ever had to do that in a situation. And one time I actually did almost fire my bow. Uh, 
in the woods and I wasn't even looking at a deer a couple weeks ago. I mentioned that whenever I get in the stand, I always draw back on all my yep. different shots. And I've found that it's even more paramount to do that now that I have the back tension because sometimes you, depending on the tree you're in, if there's like a limb in a goofy spot or you're leaning a certain way, you can kind of like move your arm kind of weird oh, to I've, draw. With my bow many times, I'll, I can draw my bow back without, like, I mean, like literally at my side, I can just draw it back yeah, and then same. bring it up. And I think that's something, you know, everybody wants to shoot, you know, the max poundage of their bow and it's not necessary. No. I mean, Ted Nugent shoots, I think 53 pounds. Yeah. Like I want to be able to shoot my bow like in late season without, mm-hmm. a, I know a kid that we are friends with that missed an opportunity on a buck in a snowstorm because he tried to draw back and he couldn't get his bow back. Yeah. And I think that is horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you need to be able to draw back at any point. So my bow, yeah. I shot 70 for years. And then with the new bow I'm shooting this year, um, the cams are quite a bit bigger and the axle to axle is very short. It's only 27 inches. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it has something to do with the larger cams, but that initial pull is much greater than yeah. I'm used to. So I turned my bow down to 63. Now mm-hmm. I'm getting the same penetration that I was like it, none of nothing of that has changed, but it's just easier to draw. Yeah. I, I dropped it down so I could still draw at my side. Cause I've many times I've had to draw like while sitting, like just right in front of me and then pull up. Like I, I refuse to have to, you know, do the huge, like sky. I know I've watched re- some people pull their bow back. I'm like, what are it's you like doing? This, yeah. You have to be able to draw it back without moving. Yeah. So I guess with a back tension release, that's gotta be, interesting to do certain things like yeah that. like as you said like pulling it at your side because your hand yeah and it's easier once you learn how to use it and mm-hmm. how to hold it when you're drawing but still you know when you're if you're like like you have a limb behind you and you go to draw if your elbow is going to hit it and you got to kind of like turn your elbow down or whatever then it can get kind of goofy with your hand yeah so I was doing that one time and I almost, I felt it like start click. to roll a little bit. And yeah, mine's got that click when it's about to go off. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and like, I wasn't drawing on a deer or anything. I was just running through my shots. Mm-hmm. But I learned that in that particular spot, it's a pain in the ass to draw. So that's why I like to do it so much is every time I get in, because I know this shot's a little goofy. I'm comfortable here. I can draw mm-hmm. this way in this spot. And yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all about my back tension. I, I love it. Well, good deal. Um, I guess while we're on the topic of like getting prepped for season, um, and it still has to deal with bows, I guess we'll briefly talk about broadheads a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm switching out of the broadheads I used for the last probably three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really honestly don't have any huge reason of Something why I different. switched. Yeah, basically. Um, basically new bow, new broadheads. That's kind yeah, of switching what, it all yeah. up. Um, and I ended up going with, I went back to rage and I like, I guess I got away from rage. Probably it's gotta be probably eight years ago mm-hmm. and no real reason to be honest. Um, I think I really don't know why I got away from them and cause I always had good, great luck with them. And I moved over to a, um, a hybrid, arrow so it was mm-hmm. had two fixed two mechanicals um and i had killed some deer with them and the, i was never really that thrilled with the blood trails mm-hmm. and 
<clears throat> but with Rage, I've always had really, really, really good blood trails. And I think that's something that Rage is kind of notorious for is their yeah. blood trails. But I, you know, the, the reason <clears throat> people stay away from Rage sometimes is like their bone to bone or like their bone impact. Yeah. They lose a lot of penetration. So maybe that has something to do with the reason I stepped away from them. Uh, but anyway, so this year I switched over to a titanium uh, hypodermic rage. Yeah, my dad shoots hypodermics. Yeah, so they, they make a 100-grain titanium, which is even stronger than stainless. So my thought was <clears throat> that it would – I'm literally doing that right into the mic. I yeah, apologize you, for the listeners. You've done it like 100 uh, times. Yeah, sorry. But anyways, so I went with those, and like rage – always talks about is they you know they fly like a field point mm-hmm. and they're the only mechanical or i guess the best mechanical that when they say it flies like a field tip or I mean, yeah like a field tip it does yeah so i'm really interested to try those out this year and i went back to three blades because that's the only time i ever at two different times i shot bucks that the blood was like spewing out before the mm-hmm. arrow even finished passing through was on a rage three blade yeah and i don't know what it is about it but that sight tells me the deer's dead mm-hmm. i'm not saying that that's a guaranteed thing like don't yeah but it boosts but your confidence for me, a lot when i see the arrow hit the deer and blood squirting out while the fletching is still disappearing mm-hmm. to me that says dead deer yeah and i liked that and i want to go back to it so i switched mm-hmm. back to those and so far i mean i haven't shot anything with them because i haven't there's nothing been in season but yeah confident they will do the trick yeah um, I know you're probably sticking with the annihilators. Yeah, I was really pleased with those last years, and I'm definitely going to stick with them. I loved everything about them. I had great blood trails with them. I, oh yeah, it looked like a bullet hole. It literally does look like a bullet hole with those things. It's it punches a circle out. It literally. I mean, it's. I think what I don't know if there's anyone else out there making a solid three blade broadhead. I saw one the other day, and I honestly can't remember what the brand was but i did see a picture of one the other day i was just scrolling through instagram mm-hmm. real quick and i saw a picture of one and i don't know why i didn't commit it to memory but it, there is more than just annihilator out there but i don't I think annihilator is probably the first yeah they 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 make a hell I mean, of because they make there's plenty of companies out there um iron will is the first one i can think of that has like a, a solid two blade mm-hmm. uh, I, I know there's other ones besides iron will but that's the one that keeps yeah yelling in my brain right now mm-hmm. but i besides that other company i think annihilator might be the first solid three blade broadhead mm-hmm. and base like the way that they have it broken up well i guess if you think about it with three blades now maybe this I'm, might sound dumb but it's like <laughs> it should be like what 60 degrees or oh for like, the, for the angle of the blade yeah yeah it's i, I, I don't know i can't remember either way is. the way that they're fashioned you can just lay them flat on a stone to sharpen them yeah you don't have to sharpen each individual side of every blade you can sharpen two at a time just rubbing it on a stone yeah so i think that's a really for somebody like myself who doesn't know how to properly sharpen on a stone like i can sharpen but using Mm -hmm. just a whetstone it's 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 an art and it's a lot harder when you're doing it with a broadhead yeah it's one thing to do it with a knife but then try to do it with a broadhead is a lot different. And not cut yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think they got a really good thing going. And I, Frank sent me some pictures and stuff from his blood trails last year, and it literally looks like like a 50 cal bullet yeah. going through the deer because it's it's a solid three blade, so it literally just punches yeah. like three like, oh, like a 
three quarters of an inch hole. The the diameter of the broadhead is just shy of an inch. Okay, so it's just under. So either way, yeah. like almost an inch hole. Yeah. Like inch diameter hole just punches right through the deer because it it's solid all the way to the back. So it's a a nasty broadhead, very yeah, durable. It is. Too. Yeah, and uh, they are exceptionally durable. I've rifled them into the ground and stuff, and they're not not often. Yeah, exactly. And I've used plenty of other well-built broadheads that if you hit something, hit a limb, or if he passes through a deer and hits into the ground or whatever, it'll like just break the very tip off. Yeah. And it they'll still function, but it doesn't come to that perfect point anymore. It mm-hmm. just snaps that top off. And these things are ridiculous. Like they're so well-built, they, they aren't breaking. So besides that, like how did it um, like tune, I guess, after field points? Is it, how does it my Fly. particular and that's one thing that people talk about it's like a it, different bow to bow exactly people say Your oh this one and draw length for each bow changes it yeah drastically yeah when people say this is the only one that flies like a field point this is the only one it's like it, bullets it, for your rifle yeah it depends on your bow if and with my bow they shot exactly like my field points with my setup with my probably, arrow well, out to 30 yards is probably as far as you i would say. practice to 50 and they'll, they'll fly fine to 50. Yeah, they okay. fly fine to 50. I haven't pushed them past that. I used to, pra- you know, you and I used to practice out to 100, 120 yards. Yeah. But I don't um, ever throw my broadheads that far. Yeah, no, I never, but, I'm not going to throw a broadhead that far. So I'll shoot field points that far, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to shoot a broadhead like that. So, but yeah, out to 50 yards, I shoot them exactly like my field point. Nice. There's no change in the tune, no adjust in the sight. It's money. Good deal. Um, yeah, because I mean that's like you said, it's for every bow. I know Tom's bow, for whatever reason, um, he shoots rage, and his rage does not fly like a field tip, mm-hmm. but it's just his bow. Yeah, um, and when I used to shoot rages, hundred years ago, uh, they flew just like my field. Tigers smoked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but other- yeah, they were. I I liked rages, but I just I saw a lot of people that complained that they weren't opening. Or whatever, mm-hmm. and a lot of people say that that's it can't happen or whatever. But I've found, <clears throat> excuse me, I've seen a lot of deer that get killed that have rages stuck in them, like okay. stuck in the shoulder blade or stuck in the spine or you know. There, I've found plenty of deer that people in my group, it's usually rifle hunting, mm-hmm. will kill a deer, and then when we skin it out or we're parting it out, there's a rage stuck in it. And I feel like a lot of that isn't because of the functionality of the broadhead. I feel like a lot of it is because... I think that's the user, like... Yeah, a lot of people think... They've got to be the number one selling broadhead. Yeah, exactly. They're just so common, and people think, oh, it flies like a field point because it's shaped like a field point. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about it. And then they send some flyer out there that... Yeah, doesn't hit its mark a, a raven at 100 yards yeah that blows me. I, I don't even i don't want to talk about it <laughs> uh so I, I think a lot of that has to do with or not a lot of it but i think it's fair to put out there that you know it is the number one selling broadhead yeah. so more people shooting it means that there's more gonna be deer, more yeah yeah um in my person like my closest group of friends that hunts we've seen really really nice blood trails yeah and now, i used them and i shot uh Several, I think I shot four deer with them, and I had great results with them. I had great blood trails. Every deer I hit with them died, yeah. but it was just, and part of it was what I had seen with other 
deer and other people and part of it was like you said i just wanted to change it up try something new yeah we saw them at the harrisburg show mm-hmm. and i think what intrigued me and probably you too is there was a guy in the booth drawing his bow and just shooting this broadhead into a car hood and then yeah. he'd go over grab it put it back in his boat and he just kept all punching day holes. yeah like all day like frank said he was just literally just shooting it right through the car hood mm-hmm. and then take it and, and all he's showing there is edge retention yeah um but most broadheads are not going like i mean he had like it was half a dozen times while we were walking through there yeah that the same broadhead was just punching right through so mm-hmm. it, you're good with edge retention yeah it's definitely a very well-made broadhead and before i had those i had a two blade well it was technically a four blade it was two regular blades and then two little bleeders oh, the bleeders and loved those but they were kind of flimsy they were a longer broadhead mm-hmm. uh i shot a muzzy like that that mm-hmm. um I don't remember which muzzy it was, but I, my big seven I shot a few years ago, um, I shot, I hit the front shoulder on the other side. So like it passed mm-hmm. through and hit the other shoulder and it literally bent it yeah. horribly in the front, like definitely mm-hmm. beyond ever using again. Yeah. And I never had a bad experience with these broadheads that I had, but just touching them and looking at how they were built, they was just thin metal and it and I killed, I think I killed one or two deer with those. And again, great results, but I just feel like on a slightly off kilter shot, they could fall apart quickly. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, so like I've never had an issue with a broadhead because I've... I, I, I don't think I've ever... It's because I usually put my shot right where I want it and... With my compound, I've been hunting with my like a compound since I was 12, so... 12 this will be going on 13 seasons i've had one buck that i hit with my bow that i haven't recovered yeah i've um, had one as well and i hit and the shoulder blade that's and... exactly what happened with me was i mm-hmm. hit the front shoulder and i never found it yeah so i guess for me looking at my own statistics uh it made sense for me to be okay with a mechanical broadhead mm-hmm. and i since then you know I, I fell into you know watching too many hunting shows yeah that show you know the arrow dropping right in at the heart tucked in there and you're so close to that shoulder Mm -hmm. and i'm sorry i I just i don't i don't go for those shots anymore i used to and had one issue where a buck got away and since then i go mid center mass yeah, yeah center mass about two inches behind where I see the the shoulder blade. Yeah, and you can um, see their shoulder blade oh, when yeah, they're you can walking see it. just back you, up I, a little two bit. Two inches and that. And drop down a little bit. And... That's enough for me. Um, I Since I switched over to that, I've shot probably four, maybe five, and have never had an issue since. Yeah, if you run a broadhead through both of their lungs, you don't need to hit their heart. They're no, exactly. dying quick. No, and, and all but one has died inside for me. Mm-hmm. So, like double lung shots they don't typically go very far yeah and the one that got out of sight was because i was hunting in such thick cover that i Mm -hmm. i saw him close and then he was gone like as fast as he came in yeah but Mm -hmm. um other than that i guess prepping for season i the only i really didn't get new new gear or anything this year neither i'm rocking Um, all the same stuff yeah i mean i i I did i guess for christmas last year i got a uh man uh handsaw mm-hmm. with an extendable connection so that's that'll be nice for trimming out like a mobile stand mm-hmm. it's got like it's just your regular handsaw that i've carried for years but it's got 
if you want to, you can attach like a five foot arm. Mm -hmm. So once in a while I do run into a point where it's like, man, I wish I could reach that limb out there because you know, I could get that shot, you know? Mm -hmm. So it'll, that'll be a really nice thing to add. Yeah. Um, Oh, I did. I got, I changed up the head for my filming this year. Um, only because I bought, I don't know if I talked about this on here or not, but last year it was the first year I like got serious about filming. Like I've Mm -hmm. always, I've used my GoPro for years. Um, I've got a couple, like one kill or two kills maybe on the GoPro, but like you can't see anything on them. No, they're, those are good for like looking right at you while you're hunting, but to get a deer on it. Yeah. I mean, I I have one 15 yards and you can't even hardly see the film. Yeah. I have one. It's actually my biggest buck I have on a GoPro and it was, you can see it, but it was like, it it was 10 yards, I think when I shot Mm -hmm. it. So it's, but past that you're not seeing shit with them. Yeah. It's like a fisheye lens. Yeah, that's just not what they're used for. It's an action cam, basically. Yeah. But anyway, so last year I got serious about, like, wanting to film, like, well. And I started Mm -hmm. last year with my cell phone that my cell phone records in 4K, so it was Mm -hmm. very clear. Um, But I just bought a cheap camera head just because I wasn't sure what I wanted. I didn't know what was available. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted, really, because if you haven't used, like, if you've never filmed, you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I guess is the best way to put it. And after a season, realized some certain things I liked and didn't like about it and started researching camera heads. And this year, I found myself with a uh, a pistol grip camera mount or camera head. So mm-hmm. basically, my other one had like a long arm off the back and you would have to loosen a screw to move the camera and then tighten the screw yes. back down. And it was just too much yeah. screwing around. And I, like it worked, but it didn't work at the same time. Like I yeah. just didn't like it from the beginning. So this year I found myself looking at pistol grip ones. And basically what this one does is it's a pistol grip. And when you squeeze it, it loosens everything up and you can move the camera 360 degrees, like angled down, angled up, mm. dips left, right, anything. And as soon as you let go, it it's tightens tight. everything back up. That's so nice. it's hundred percent just one hand, um, use now. So, and the the way the pistol grip works is like where my thumb naturally wants to go is right on my record button. So I can hit record on the camcorder and adjust it where I need to. And that's it. That's slick. So I'm really excited about that. But other than that, like when it comes to like hunting gear, I have nothing really. Mm -hmm. um, We're just, we're in tune. We're ready to go. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I'm a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, we got. By the time this releases, what, three weeks? Three weeks, yeah, in PA in New York. Yeah, I mean, yeah, PA New York. Some of you lucky guys are already out there, but yeah, for the ones that matter here in PA New York, <laughs> three weeks. Um, so, yeah, I guess you got three, two more, probably two more episodes, and then hopefully Start killing Deer Camp them. Series will fire back up. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening, as always. Oh, did we... We have a new Patreon member. Oh, oh my goodness! Of course we do. Yeah, there's another gentleman out there that likes our stuff enough to support us, and I can't thank that guy enough. Appreciate uh, the heck, Jacob right Gaffner. Um, yeah, thank you very, very much. Uh, you're entered obviously into the $500 valued mobile stand giveaway, mm-hmm. um, and you support what we do and make sure that this podcast continues to come out every single week for. 90 episodes now mm-hmm. and at 300 episodes we'll still be able to say every week because we just won't we just don't quit can't stop um, won't stop 
So, Jacob, you're the man. Uh, good luck this season, and I'm sure you're going to kill a big buck because that's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you guys should be more like Jacob and enjoy the podcast as much as he does and get outside. <laughs>